Good afternoon, London. It is not Mike Stubbs. It is Jess Brady. It is the last day of Mike's vacation. If you don't count Monday, because that's Victoria Day, and we won't be here for that. <laughs> uh, but Mike has been off all week long getting some well-deserved R&R, and I've been filling in. Again, my name is Jess Brady. I'm usually the morning anchor for 980 CFPL in the, in the mornings with Jake Jeffrey as well and the rest of the morning news team. But yeah, for this, this week I've uh, switched up the shift. I've been in the afternoons, and uh, my world has been all different. I've seen traffic out on the roads instead of very empty streets at uh, 4 in the morning. Uh, I'm a lot more daylight while I'm at work, which is really cool. It's beautiful out there today. Beautiful blue sky. This might be the clearest sky we've had all week. Like I said, I've been giving you little weather updates as uh, (laughs) the week has been going on. Oh, it's a little chilly out there, so only 13 degrees, but it, it does look lovely. I will say that. So we have a very busy show today as we are heading into the long weekend. Decided to uh, really put a focus on that. Everyone's feeling feeling excited to get out of work, go and party and relax and just kick back, maybe put your feet up, sit out on a deck somewhere, have a uh, bonfire, all that good stuff. Maybe you want to take in some fireworks. We're going to talk about all these things over the course of the show uh, and really make sure that you are ready for that long weekend. The most important thing. <laughs> to take into account for the long weekend is weather, of course. And we gave you a brief little rundown of the current conditions out there. But to take a look at the long-range forecast we have on the line right now, David Phillips, he is a senior climatologist with Environment Canada. He's going to tell us what to expect this weekend. David, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us this afternoon. Well, Jeff, nice to be with you. So we are heading into, we are mere hours away from the start of the Victoria Day long weekend. This is one of those, uh, you know, weekends where everyone just kind of looks at the forecast with very wary eyes all week long. You know, you're so right. I mean, this is probably the toughest time in the forecast office because we know all of the eyes and the ears are looking and hearing to what you're going to say about the long weekend. I mean, you know, just so there's, there's a falsehood out there that we think somehow uh, this is the official kickoff of, of summer. I guess it is from a busy point of view in terms of camping and cottaging, opening up the cottage, getting ready for the for the long, hot uh, summer. And, um, and people think that, my gosh, how the long weekend in May goes, uh, so goes the, the rest of the summer. Well, hey, uh, fortunately, that's not the case, given a look at what we're going to see this uh, this weekend. And, you know, we know last year, I mean, last year, the long weekend in May, uh, my gosh, uh, temperatures were about what they're going to be this year. Uh, there were uh, two uh, two wet days uh, of the of the three, and uh, and we ended up with a hummer of a summer. Uh, we had uh, twice as many hot days. So, so, you know, I mean, perish the thought that the long weekend gives you a clue uh, uh, indication of what the summer is going to be. Hey, no question about just it's important. Uh, we uh, we really want the weather, good weather. We're willing to accept what we've had so far in the spring, but we really want that summery-like weather to begin on this particular weekend. That's so true. And I think that, uh, you know, impatience, if you will, for this weekend is just because people are so sick of of like the colder conditions. And, uh, you know, everyone, you're so right that, you know, we just really need to temper our expectations. It's still spring. Um, but yeah, people are just, you know, chomping at the bit to get up to the cottage, like you said. Uh, I know some colleagues of mine are doing that this weekend. Uh, it's it's uh, It's just that time of year where people are itching to get outside. 
really. And, you know, uh, people are saying, you know, we've had a rough uh, spell of weather. I mean, April was uh, not as cold as last year, but it was certainly not summer-like. You know, we, we sometimes think we should go from slush to sweat. You know, we, uh, we skip over spring. I mean, spring and this spring has been, well, I guess there has been a spring, but it's certainly been more, more, more winter-like, uh, been cooler, uh, both April and May. It's certainly been wetter. My gosh, in the last four weeks in London, I mean, uh, take it. I mean, 28 days, uh, 20 of those have been wet days. And any of those days that were dry didn't seem to be warmer than normal. So temperatures have been below normal. I mean, not record, but just enough misery to, to make you feel as if you've been feel cheated. And, you know, just it, it's important to know that, you know, we, we think that this is the warm season. This is the ledger. Is This is the warm ledger. And when you're not getting these kind of uh, dry and, and warm days, well, then um, you feel as if this is going to be a, a shorter warm and dry season. And I know of farmers, I have driven across southern Ontario, I looked in the London area and I saw a lot of standing water. Farmers are not happy. I mean, they're, they can't, they need to dry it out to get, to get on those fields. Uh, uh, and so everybody would like it to be warm and dry and even windy to help to evaporate the, the moisture that's been collecting for, for so many days. Uh, it's just been weather, one weather system after another. There seem to be parked uh, to the west of London and just coming in like, well, like jumbo jets on the airport tarmac, just one after another, and you just can't, you, know, you can't sort of escape it. And so I, I think uh, there's a little bit of moroseness out there, uh, people feeling that they they're being cheated and and uh, done in, and uh, and they're not greedy by asking for a warm and dry weekend. Absolutely. They're just looking for a little bit of relief. And, and actually, the numbers that you quoted there about the last 28 days, 20 of them have been wet or oh. some moisture in them. That is, I mean, everyone has said, oh, we're so sick of the rain. But I had no idea that that's actually what we were up against. No wonder we're waterlogged. Well, exactly. And then, you know, of course, you get a day when it's rain, and it's not record amounts of rain, but just enough to psychologically give us a, a real downer. And if it's not raining, it's looking like rain. A lot of overcast, a lot of unsettled weather. Um, I mean, much, I think people would be would be hoping for, a, you know, maybe a, a thunderstorm, because at least, you know, you get some warm weather in that, and the, and the rain may only last a, uh, an hour or so. But no, it's been, um, it's been a tough bout, and uh, hey, it's been, uh, I can feel the heat in the weather office. So people are just saying enough's enough. They're, they're saying, can't you manufacture some good weather? And, uh, and then, of course, people were willing to accept that. We're very patient people, uh, and uh, Canadians are, and, uh, and, and we said, all right, we'll accept all that misery up to the long weekend in May, but now you've got to bring it because there's a lot of pressure on us and, oh my gosh, just I wish it was a better better news situation. I mean, uh, the long weekend in May, it looks like it's going to be more of the same, uh, wet. Uh, now, temperature-wise, it's not as cool as it's been. We've seen some temperatures that have been you know, barely um, above, uh, above normal, and when we get a good day, just this is the problem. We get one good day, and that's it. We go back into three or four days of miserable weather, do you say? So you can't string it together. I mean, I'm suggesting people play hooky and book off sick. And if you've got a good day, go for it, because <laughs> we just seem to be so few of these days. And, uh, well, the long weekend, May, I've got I've to spin you the good news. I mean, temperatures look like it's going to be, you know, maybe normal to a little warmer than normal, but it's that 40, 60% chance of showers, you know? Uh, that's, uh, it's umbrella weather. It's just not good golfing weather. And 
and and gardening weather. I mean, people are just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They can't go to the garden center or or go. Uh, golfing. I mean, they've got to sort of go in there between uh, between showers. If there's any good news, I mean, everybody across the country is in this pickle together, from Vancouver to St. John's. I mean, if you really want a nice long weekend, go to Yellowknife or Whitehorse. I mean, that's about the only area where I see it's warmer than normal and sunny. It's it's just this misery across the country. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of those things, right? And and, and I, people were probably, like you said, hoping for a better forecast for this for this weekend. Yeah. But you know what? We got to take what we can get. At least, like you said, we've got some warmth. At least, yeah. You know, there's there's exactly. a You've silver got to lining. Look at the good side of this is there is some. Uh, it's not a muscle shirt and tank top kind of weather, but at least it's uh, it's maybe not parka and toque weather. Thank goodness. So you may not be sitting on the patio at Barney's here on uh, Richmond Row, but that's okay. You'll you'll get there soon. Do you have any ideas of of when we will start to see things dry out a little bit? Well, I mean, you know, we we know statistically that that June is typically about four, five, six degrees warmer than May. So you know, I mean, even just you know. Normally, we would warm it up. So, I mean, those kind of warm temperatures are going to come. Um, now, our models for the, I, I think we should just forget spring. You know, just let's say, hey, this was the year that spring was missing in action. And uh, in summer, now our models are showing, again, I'm going to focus on the good news, um, is that they're not showing wetter and cooler than normal. It's sort of showing just in between. It's sort of saying normal may be uncertain. Now, the American models for southern Ontario, for the London area, are showing warmer than normal. So maybe they've got onto something. We're showing no area in Canada being colder than normal. But we're just not quite yet to make the call on summer. We normally issue our summer forecast on the 1st of June. We still have a couple of weeks more to go, but at least some of the models uh, in the south of the border are staying warmer than uh, than normal. So I wouldn't write off summer. It may be glorious. Uh, maybe if, if, if it was a kind of, uh, we've had enough moisture. We don't need any of that. I mean, there's a lot of moisture in the storage bank, so, so that shouldn't be the issue. It's trying to warm up the soil, warm up the ground, make uh, bring on the vegetation, and uh, and I think people would be, be happy. So a little too early to say, but my sense is it's not at least bad news. It's not showing colder than normal. It's just that we're a little uncertain right now. All right. Well, I think we will all just be keeping our fingers crossed that uh, uh, that the information from those American models, which you have so kindly uh, <laughs> relayed to us, is the correct information. Fingers right. crossed. And we'll keep uh, our eyes open for the Environment Canada summer forecast that uh, is coming down in, in a couple of weeks, as you said. David, as always, thank you for your excellent uh, rundown of what to expect over the long weekend and uh, what's on tap for uh, in the weeks to come. Thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome, Jess. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. So we're going to keep on the long weekend train, all that theme that everyone is feeling anyway. We all are so excited for three whole days off. Yay! When we come back, though, we are going to talk about uh, the safety aspect of this weekend that we really do need to keep in mind. Uh, we're going to hear from Jack Burt of the London Fire Department and uh, find out some of the do's and don'ts of fireworks this long weekend. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Mike Stubbs will be back with you on Tuesday. My name is Jess Brady. I am filling in this week. It's the last day of my tenure in the talk booth. Next week, I'll be back on the other side of the glass, manning the board for news in the morning with Jake Jeffrey. 
Welcome back to the program on this Friday afternoon. It's beautiful outside. We are heading into the long weekend. We just heard from Environment Canada climatologist David Phillips. He's saying, you know, we should have pretty warm temperatures. It might still be a little bit rainy in the city and in our immediate region. But hopefully that does not dampen our spirits going into the long weekend. And something that we always associate with Victoria Day weekend is fireworks and cookouts and uh, bonfires. All that good stuff. But it can be a little bit dangerous. So we are going to talk to... Acting Deputy Fire Chief Jack Burt, he's going to tell us all the things we should and shouldn't do this long weekend. Jack, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to talk about uh, some very important safety messaging heading into the long weekend. Well, Jess, it's always a pleasure to be on the air and thank you for allowing me this opportunity to preach about fire safety to Londoners. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's something that uh, especially is applicable for uh, the Victoria Day long weekend, because one of the biggest things that we associate with this weekend is fireworks. Uh, And being outside, it's one of our first chances to really enjoy outdoor activities after a very long, cold winter. And in this case, a a lackluster spring weather-wise. What is the message from London Fire this year as we head into the long weekend with regards to fireworks? We want everybody to enjoy fireworks and be safe when they're using fireworks this Victoria Day holiday weekend. London Fire Department recommends that people do attend public fireworks displays, though. There's lots of displays that are out there within the region, within London this weekend, that people can go to, and and it's quite enjoyable. There's lots of um, various fireworks that are being fired off. But we do understand that sometimes people still want to light fireworks off in their own backyard. And if they do that, I mean, I would hope that most of us know how fire itself functions and works um, and the, the precautions that we need to take. But sometimes I think people just get in a little over their heads and they don't realize, oh, I probably need more precautions or I don't actually know what I'm doing here. So if someone is, is, is going to do this and they want to do so responsibly, what are some of the things that they should keep in mind? you got to keep in mind that fireworks are actually explosives and they are dangerous. If you're using them, if you're under the influence of alcohol, there is a higher potential that you could actually hurt yourself when you're discharging fireworks. So make sure that there's no alcohol or no substances that are being involved that could impair you when you're actually letting off fireworks. Also make sure that only adults are aware of the hazards and the essential safety precautions uh, involved with handling and discharging fireworks. Adults should be the only one handling them. They should be the only one discharging them. Make sure we're keeping children away from the fireworks that are being lit. Make sure that everybody carefully reads and follows, follows the directions on the fireworks packaging. There are certain ways to put them in the ground. There are certain ends that have to be lit. And you want to make sure that you're doing that safely so it discharges correctly and doesn't uh, create an unsafe event around where you're lighting them off. And always make sure that you keep a water pail um, or a hose close by so when you're discharging fireworks, if there is um, a small incident, make sure that there's something that can actually extinguish that firework. If you're discharging fireworks, make sure that you're keeping them away from combustible materials like buildings, like trees, like tall grass that may be dry, so that fire doesn't uh, spread to neighboring properties, neighboring buildings, and cause a bigger issue than just a simple fireworks display. Also make sure that the onlookers for the fireworks are keeping a safe distance away, that they're upwind from the fireworks, and make sure that they're not right in the area where the fireworks are being discharged. The big thing is only light one firework at a time. Make sure that they're on ground level and never try to relight a firework that in your hand that's, um, that's, been, that's become a dud and hasn't lit off. For dud fireworks, it's, it's best to wait about 30 minutes, then grab it, 
soak it in the bucket of water, and then dispose of them in a metal container so that they don't go off after the fact. Discharge fireworks only if wind conditions do not create a safety hazard. If you shoot them up in the air and it's windy, it could blow back into the crowd, it could blow back into a building and cause a fire that is um, something that we really don't want to create here when fireworks are being used. One of the big things to remember too is sparklers. Always keep those sparklers away from children. Sparklers burn extremely hot and they can ignite clothing. They can also cause blindness and result in severe burns. Make sure that there's always an adult around if somebody has sparklers. And the biggest thing is make sure that you're respectful of your neighbors. If your neighbors don't want you lighting fireworks off in your area, go to a public display. Absolutely. I think that's uh, a lot of sage advice, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, keeping your distance and making the making sure that the proper precautions are in place just in case uh, you do have something go wrong, like, a, uh, you know, like you said, the dud firework there and make sure that you're, you're leaving it for an appropriate amount of time and then dousing it uh, to make sure that it's not going to go off accidentally because it's it's really easy for something that's meant to be such a, a fun event uh, to take a, a pretty dangerous turn easily. And it can happen in, in just a couple of seconds, really if, if um, you know, if, if people aren't paying attention. Absolutely. And if it does happen, make sure that somebody calls 911 right away. We'll respond and we'll make sure that the situation is mitigated so everybody can be safe. Absolutely. And a lot of this is uh, in terms of uh, preventing injuries or uh, really bad emergency events. It's common sense too, right? Like we don't want to see anyone picking up uh, like a Roman candle sort of thing and and shooting it off at anybody. Like just use your head. Don't do anything stupid, quite frankly. And uh, just enjoy these uh, fireworks as they are meant to be enjoyed safely and responsibly. And that's why we really recommend that people go to public fireworks displays. Um, the displays are bigger, there's lots to see, there's a nice crowd there, and they're quite enjoyable to watch. And it's a lot safer for everybody that's attending that because professionals are lighting off those fireworks that do this day in and day out and know the hazards associated with the explosive devices that they're handling. Absolutely. It's one of those things like, let, leave it to the professionals. Just enjoy the show. Don't don't have to stress out about doing everything right. And uh, it's just a lot easier that way. Um, something else that's really popular over the long weekend, so long as the weather holds out, is um, like bonfires and people lighting up their barbecues. Uh, any just in general safety tips for, for that sort of thing? Should we even be burning uh, um, bonfires in, in the city at this time right now? That's, that's a common question that I hear from people. There is... The open-air burning bylaw does allow for people to use campfires. Um, The real thing is you want to make sure that those campfires aren't disturbing your neighbors, right? If there's a lot of smoke coming off and it's going to your neighbor's property and they complain, we will respond and we will order those fires to be extinguished. So, again, just be respectful of your neighbors in your area. If you're burning garbage, if you're burning unclean wood, if you're burning yard waste, that is illegal. Um, You can be charged if you do that. So make sure that that stuff's being gathered up and taken to the landfill to be disposed of appropriately. And again, I can't stress this enough, just be respectful of your neighbors this weekend. If you want to have fun in your own backyard, that's great. But when it starts um, interfering with other people's enjoyment, especially on this long weekend, um, you could be charged Absolutely. Yeah. So just best to uh, play by the rules and make sure everyone stays safe and and is able to enjoy the long weekend for what it is and no one ends up in a merge. That's exactly it. Absolutely. Well, Chief, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, we hope that everyone at LFD has a, a safe long weekend and that there are minimal amount of calls. 
Yes, and we at LFD hope that everybody has a safe and enjoyable Victoria Day long weekend. And if you want to see me this weekend, you'll see me at one of those public firework displays. Fantastic. Well, I hope you enjoy it, and thanks again so much. Thank you, and it's always a pleasure to be on the show. Okay, we need to take a quick break for that 1.30 news with uh, Jacqueline LaBelle. When we come back, we're keeping the long weekend safety train rolling. This time, talking about if you're heading out onto the roads or waterways. We'll be right back on London Live on 980 CFPL. Hello, London. You are mere hours away from the start of your Victoria Day long weekend. Uh, I bet you're at work right now. Maybe you're at school. Who knows? You're peeking out the window on a break, looking at that beautiful blue sky out there, lots of sunshine. The weekend is beckoning to you. It's calling you. Maybe you have travel plans this weekend. Maybe it's just here in the city or you're heading out onto uh, those 400 series highways, which are always busy at this time of the year, especially on the first really big long weekend as we approach that summer season. If you are heading out, we want to remind you just to play it safe. You know, take your time, be patient. You're going to get to your destination no matter what. Pack your patience, as we always say in the traffic center here on 980 CFPL. Because if you don't, honestly, first of all, it's just not worth it. But it can sometimes have deadly consequences. So joining me on the line to talk about things you need to keep in mind for your long weekend, especially if you're traveling, is OPP Constable Ed Sanchuk. And uh, he joins me live. Ed, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon to talk about uh, long weekend road and water safety. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's going to be a busy weekend, so we got lots to talk about, I guess. Absolutely. It, it always seems that uh, uh, everyone you, at, at work or wherever you are, you're talking to people as you head into the long weekend. Everyone's excited. Uh, they all have big plans, either traveling inside the city or outside. Um, as you said, we have a lot to talk about in terms of safety. What are some of the things that we should be keeping in mind if people are heading out on the roads this weekend? Well, it looks like Mother Nature is going to cooperate, so it's, look, it's looking like a pretty good weekend. So with motorcyclists, off-road, and boaters expected in large numbers this long weekend, the OPP is raising awareness on the behaviors and contributing factors that are common in deaths across three of these seasonal recreational drivers. And we need people to realize that driving too fast for conditions, excessive speed, alcohol impairment were the top contributing factors in last year's 36 motorcycle deaths. Seven of the deceased motorcyclists were not wearing a helmet, so we need to stress the importance of putting your safety as a priority. Anytime you get on that motorcycle, please warm up your mind, warm up your bike, and make sure that you focus 110% of your driving ability and always be aware of your surroundings at all times. Absolutely. And uh, same goes for uh, motorists in in vehicles that have four wheels, uh, making sure that you're really keeping an eye out for motorcyclists as well, because they are so much more vulnerable than we are in, in our, you know, our steel cages, if you will, in our vehicles. You know, absolutely. You know, when, when we see motorcycle collisions and we see them regularly, which I'm sad to say, um, the motorcyclist does not fare out too well. Usually we're looking at serious life-threatening injuries, serious life-threatening altering injuries or death. And when we operate a motor vehicle, when we look at a motorcyclist, we need to stop looking at that as a motorcyclist. We need to look at that as a human being. So when you come up to an intersection, a stoplight, stop sign, whatever the case may be, we're just asking people to take those two extra seconds to look before you proceed, before you enter that intersection, because those two extra seconds can make a difference between life and death. And also, those two extra seconds checking your blind spots can make a difference between being involved in a collision and not being involved in one. So please, just... You're eventually going to arrive at your destination. I know everyone's in a rush to get down to the cottage, to get on the highways. It's going to be busy, but we need people to do the right thing, do the smart thing, and put their safety as a priority along with all their passengers once they get inside that motor vehicle. 
Absolutely. And it's, you know, as you said, just take a couple of extra seconds. It's not that much uh, in terms of uh, preparation and just being mindful, as you've said. And uh, something that we talked about earlier this week with uh, with a couple of different organizations with, about distracted driving and uh, how important it is to make sure that you are not uh, playing into the very easy thought process of, oh, I'll just look at this really quickly. Just check with whatever that notification was on my phone. No, don't do it. Just Just leave it alone. Put it away uh, because Absolutely. those seconds you know, if you need count. People, if you need to check your phone that bad and you have a passenger in your vehicle, hand the phone over to your passenger. And the passenger can read out that message to you while you focus your attention on the roadway. But do me a favor. There's a lot of different things that can cause your attention to be focused in other areas, such as eating, drinking, having a dog in your lap, tuning out the radio, um, you know, playing with your GPS system. Those are all distractions that are likely going to cause a serious collision or fatality. So we're just asking people to focus your attention on driving. And that's all you have to do is drive. Make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive within the speed limit, no alcohol or drugs. And you know what? You're eventually going to get there. You're going to get there safely. But more importantly, you're going to be able to make great memories that's not going to be marred by tragedy this weekend. So our hopes is that we don't have to investigate any serious motor vehicle collisions or deaths. And, you know, I would really like to see everyone getting behind the handlebars of a motorcycle, the wheel of a motor vehicle, to please make sure you're putting your safety as a priority. And that goes for all of our off-road vehicles because alcohol and drugs were involved in at least eight of the fatalities last year. Losing control, driving too fast for the conditions. Uh, there were four, which were, and, you know, it's one of those things where once we take the equation of speed, alcohol, you know, aggressive driving, distracted driving out, we're not going to see any collisions. So we just need people to make sure that, they, again, not to sound like a broken record, that they're putting their safety as a priority because driving is a privilege, it's not a right. Absolutely. And uh, the other area that people should be mindful of, not only uh, putting all of those excellent uh, words of advice to practice, not only on the roads, but also on our waterways, because this is kind of the kickstart of uh, cottage season, as we've said, and people being out on the water in their boats, on their sea that sort of thing. And the same rules apply. Use your head, right? You know what? Same rules apply. Impair is impaired, whether it's on, on land or on water. And speaking of on water, 22 of the 24 people who died in last year's boating and paddling incidents were not wearing a life jacket. With falling overboard, there was 11 capsized vessels. Uh, there was, again, seven being the top primary causes in deaths. Life jacket use may have reduced the number of boating deaths significantly. And again, alcohol and or drugs were involved in at least eight of the fatalities. So this long weekend, we want everyone to make sure you have a designated driver, and if you are driving and you arrive at a destination and you partake in some beverages or whatever you're partaking in, you need to make sure you have a plan in place to stay overnight. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those messages that uh, we hear from uh, officers and also uh, from different media partners. It's that just being prepared, having a plan, because when people don't have a plan, that's when poor choices tend to be made. Well, you know what? Absolutely. And when you are traveling down the roadway and you feel yourself almost kind of like nodding off, that's your indication to maybe pull your vehicle over, going to a rest stop, get something to eat, go to the washroom, whatever the case may be, but don't continue driving because you're going to cause a collision. And this long weekend, you know, it comes down that our personal public safety relies on each and every one of us obeying the speed limit, driving in accordance with the weather, road, and trail conditions, and ensuring the use of helmets when riding a motorcycle and or ATV and a life jacket while boating. So, uh, you know, I just want to, uh, you know, echo the sentiments of our commissioner because, you know, summertime is a great time of the year to be outside and enjoy everything. Ontario has to offer with your friends and family, but please be sure to put your safety first this season. Absolutely. Well, I think that that covers all of our bases very, very well. Uh, Constable Sanchuk, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, and I hope you enjoy a lovely long weekend. Well, I'm going to try, and for everyone traveling on the railways, please make sure you just take your time, arrive at your destination, have fun with your family, but more importantly, get home safely to your other family members. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, I'm sure we will chat with you in the future. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Now, from road safety, we're going to talk about digital safety and our desire for privacy, but perhaps our really poor follow through on that desire. But we do need to take a quick break on London Live on 980 CFPL. We will be right back after this. Nope. We tricked you. It's Jess Brady. Mike's still on vacation. He's back on Tuesday for his regular time slot on London Live. I've been filling in for him this week, and uh, I'm very thankful to everyone who's helped me out over the course of this week, all the fantastic interview guests that I've had, and my fantastic producers. We had Matt McInnes earlier uh, in the week. We've had Andrew, and now I have Kelly manning the board on the other side of the glass for me today, and she's doing a fantastic job, so thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, One of the guests that I spoke to earlier this week was Carmi Levy, who is a London-based technology analyst. And uh, we're going to chat with him again in just a second. I want to just tee up this segment a little bit for you, let you know what we're chatting about. Uh, It sort of has a bit of a connection to the chat we had on, uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, about WhatsApp and Facebook. Uh, This is based on an article from Vox. That's V-O-X, not Fox, Vox, V-O-X. And the title is, People Say They Care About Privacy, But They Can continue to buy devices that can spy on them. And it's a really interesting look into a little bit of the data surrounding the rise of uh, smart devices. So we're talking about uh, different at-home um, assistants, if you will. You say, hey, Google. And uh, there's some really cute uh, examples of how you can use those devices, like the uh, video of the uh, Italian Nona when she is on, like, they're filming her and she says, goo-goo, goo-goo, as she's trying to act- activate the Google Home uh, Assistant, which is super cute and lovely. And these devices certainly make our lives easier in some ways, but but there is a downside. Debbie Downer here, me talking about this, about the, the potential negatives of how they can uh, make you vulnerable to attacks and to privacy breaches. So Carmi Levy joins me on the line now to talk more about this and the article. Carmi, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to uh, talk about this latest article and uh, what it means for Canadians. Great to be here, Jess. So as I uh, mentioned off the top of this segment, uh, Vox has put out this article. Title is People Say They Care About Privacy, But They Continue to Buy Devices That Can Spy on Them. And uh, specifically talking about um, devices like the Amazon Alexa, or I'm I'm probably getting all the names of of these devices uh, confused because there's Google has one. Then they talk about baby monitors, our smartphones, Fitbit, all the fitness monitor and trackers. It seems like our lives are just consumed right now. Everywhere you turn, there's a smart device. Device. And uh, people really don't seem to be aware of the vulnerabilities that they that they present to us. They aren't, and 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 for good reason, because in in their minds, it, none of this applies to them. All they care about when they buy a Google Home speaker or an Amazon Echo speaker or a, or a, you know a smart thermostat is they just want this thing to work. They want to be able to say you know you know Google you know what's the weather today, and they want it to just answer them. It's magic. These technologies are, re- let's face it, they're really cool. Uh, and so we just want them to do cool things, and we want them to impress the people that we, we, ha- we hang out with, and we want we want to be impressed by them. And so we're so focused on getting them up and running, making them do all this cool stuff for us, that we just don't care about security. We, we ignore the security warnings, you know, when it pops up, says, you agree, do you accept? We don't read the terms of use. We don't read the terms of service agreements. 
we don't have time for that. We just want it to work. And so we've decided pretty clearly that convenience uh, matters far more than security uh, in our world. And we're just not going to take the time or make the investment to protect ourselves. And even if that means our data gets shared with God knows who, if it doesn't come back to bite us, we don't care. You know, that's so true. And, and that was one of the uh, massive points that the article was talking about is that the trade-offs were worth it um, for people in general. And another big point was that people don't really understand the extent of the information that's being collected from them. And even when it's laid out uh, mostly in like uh, tech speak or jargon that every or legalese even like just the legal terminology that is in uh, a lot of these terms of agreement and consent and all that jazz, uh, people don't really get it. They just kind of gloss over it and think, eh, it's fine. Like it's it's a bit of uh, self-imposed ignorance is bliss when it could really come back to bite them. Very much so. I mean, think about our behaviors when we download a new app from the app store. You know, you know, so you want it to do something cool. So there's this free app on the app store. So what do you do? You go to the app store and you download it. And but of course, you have to take the time to read all of that legalese and you have to take the time to dig through it. Well, no, you want to download this app in a few seconds and you want to get on with your day. No one has time to read through all the bad things that might happen if your data gets compromised or who they're selling that data to and what they're using that data for. Um, in, in, as it is, it's written in legalese, so no one can, no one wants to bother. But even if the industry magically woke up one day and said, okay, we're just going to put it in bullet point form. This is what all of that means. We still wouldn't pay attention because, again, we're still so focused on getting that app installed and getting on with our day. We just don't have the time or the patience. And the only thing that is ever going to get us to have that time and patience is, you know, if we get compromised ourselves. In other words, if for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's like when your house gets robbed, then you're going to put an alarm in. Then you're going to pay attention about, uh, you know, not broadcasting your, your whereabouts on social media. Then you're going to get serious about security. But until your house gets robbed, you don't really care. And that's kind of the logic that seems to be driving us with our smart devices, too. It's a sad, sad truth, but uh, you're you're bang on with that, Carmi. It is absolutely true. And um, one of the other uh, facets of this issue, uh, and it's something that you've talked about uh, quite a bit, it, but even when we were chatting uh, earlier this week about WhatsApp and, and the Facebook op-ed, um, is that people don't often have an alternative. Like everyone is on these apps, especially Facebook, uh, like what billions of people are on that, um, most of the planet at this point, it seems like, uh, but people just don't have have a lot of options in terms of moving to other platforms or other devices. If you want to monitor your baby, I mean, you can still get one of the quote unquote old school uh, uh, monitors that's just kind of like looks like a little walkie talkie or whatever. But even that, like the airwaves, like the signal can be infiltrated by other by other uh, monitors. Like it's it's just sort of like a, a, a field of landmines, if you will. And, and it's inevitable almost that you're going to come across a problem. Absolutely. And, and of course, nobody wants to be seen as using yesterday's news. Like if you're using old technology, that, that also weighs on you. You don't want to be the person in your friend's group who, who is using the old style baby monitor, who's using some you know, technology that mom and dad would have used when you were a baby. Uh, and so you want to keep up. And, and if all of your friends are on Facebook, then you need to be on Facebook too. Otherwise, you're not part of that group. So our entire social world has moved over uh, into these online platforms that are inherently built on sharing data. Um, you don't get the convenience. So, for example, let's say, you know, Facebook has a, a built-in classifieds tool. 
Um, and uh, it, it doesn't really work very well if it doesn't know where you are. So you have to tell Facebook where you are. You have to allow Facebook access to your location history on your phone. So what we're doing really is we're giving up, we're, we're trading off to a certain extent. Uh, we're giving data in exchange for convenience so that Facebook will be a little bit more customized to our needs, but we have to tell them where we are. Um, and so, you know, is that is that a worthwhile trade-off for most of us? Well, pretty much everyone I know gives Facebook access to their location information. Actually, most people that I know don't even know to go into the settings to turn these things off. So they're by default giving everything away. Um, it's frightening, but at the same time, it means that we're just going with the flow. We're not going to be singled out for being the one person among our friends who didn't buy that app, didn't buy that device, didn't set things up. Uh, you know, it needs to, needs to be called next time we all get together. We, you know, for the sake of convenience, we've decided it's a worthwhile trade-off, even if it means giving up a lot of our privacy. It's like keeping up with the digital Joneses, essentially. Very much so. And that's, I think it's, for most of us, it's the path of least resistance. It's a lot easier for us to accept whatever privacy sort of quiet in the background privacy trade-offs there are and not get ridiculed by our peer groups for not being part of those peer groups. And technology, it's, you know, the, the technology that we use and carry today is very much, it's almost like the clothes that we wear. It's a style thing. And if you're not on those same platforms as everyone else, and if you're not sharing and, and sort of allowing those platforms access to all of your personal data, uh, then you're going to get left out, you're going to get left behind, and you are going to get ridiculed. And in 2019, I don't think I know anybody who wants to be on the wrong side of that curve. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think that it all plays into um, like what we've, we've seen a lot of discussion in, in terms of uh, society and uh, just the stress and pressure that we all feel from social media platforms. I mean, this is, this is kind of taking a, a bit of a sociological look at things and we're veering away from the article a little bit, but it is, uh, you know, you hear more about people taking social media breaks and doing a social media detox because they do feel stressed by seeing what everyone is putting out there. Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence when you look at this sort of thing, but it's, it's, it's important mm-hmm. to not look over that fence so much, focus on the grass you have, make that green. One of the reasons why uh, Instagram, for example, has launched a pilot in Canada. I noticed lately when you go onto Instagram, you're looking at your friend's photos. You don't see what the like numbers are. Um, and if you're the owner of that account, you only see them by sort of digging into the interface. The numbers aren't as apparent. They're trying to reduce what they call fear of missing out. They don't want you to feel like you're not keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, they, they don't want it to be all about numbers. They want it to be about the interactions, the kind of the, you know the real interactions that they built these things to to handle in the first place. Yet they've been somewhat corrupted and co-opted along the way. Um, and you know, to a certain extent, having all of our privacy settings on, in other words, giving it all up, has allowed us to squeeze the most utility out of these services. Uh, Google Maps, for example, doesn't work very well if, it does, if the app doesn't have access to the GPS. Uh, Google services, when you're using them in your car, hands-free, of course, don't work all that well unless you've turned on everything, given it access to all the hardware on your phone and in your car. That has privacy implications, but you don't want to be in the middle of the 401 using your Google services and suddenly they don't work. So you just turn everything on before you leave and then you leave it like that. Um, We're making these trade-offs every day, and we've decided that we want to have all of the features. We want to have all of the tools. 
We don't want to miss out anything that our friends are doing, and we don't want to fall behind them. If they're turning them all on, we should be turning them all on. Otherwise, we're going to get left behind. That's a big negative driver of, of, of life in the technology age. And unfortunately, many of us are feeling a heck of a lot of stress because of it. And so we make this decision. You know what? Maybe I will give up a little bit of the privacy thing, but at least I'll feel less stress about not being left behind by all my friends. Well, fingers crossed uh, that we don't uh, not feel left behind, but then feel very included in being vulnerable and and, and hacked and uh, having all sorts of icky things happen to our digital uh, footprints. So fingers crossed we can find a better balance point. But uh, it seems that we've reached that tipping point and it would be very difficult to disentangle because, uh, like, like we've said, there are a few options for removing yourself from the digital age and the digital web, if you will. Uh, I'm thinking like a spider web of social media, not so much the actual internet but um it's mm-hmm. yeah it would be tricky to do so but as always carmy it's been uh, a pleasure talking with you and getting your insight on this uh, on this issue and uh, thanks so much for joining us it was so great being here jess thank you well we need to take a quick break for the news with jacqueline labelle uh, when we come back i'm going to be joined in studio by three very special guests and uh to talk about this really neat kind of exchange that's going on with Finland with our fire department. We have uh, two representatives from the Finnish fire department who are here in London this week. So we're going to chat with them as well as Fire Inspector James Hind from LFD. So that's coming up after the news on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. We are into our second hour of London Live on 980 CFPL. And Mike Stubbs is on vacation this week. So I got to take over this booth. It's a bit strange. I'm usually on that side of uh, the glass on the other on the other side. You can't see it. I'm pointing, but <laughs> I'm on the other side of the glass usually. And I read the news in the morning with Jake Jeffrey. But this week, ah, we switched it up. And why not? It's different. We're trading spaces. And there's a little bit of that going on with the London Fire Department right now, trading spaces. A bit of an exchange of ideas and a little travel that's happened. We've had two... Wonderful representatives from Finland's fire service and emergency services in town this week, hanging out with the awesome crew over at London Fire Department, uh, learning about hoarding. Here in the city, the program that we have in place that's been developed by uh, fantastic fire inspector James Hind, and uh, it's gaining some international attention, the work that's being done here in London, and we're trying to exchange ideas and foster development of more ways to help people who are dealing with hoarding and to make sure that everyone stays safe or improves their safety. So I would like to, first of all, welcome in studio right now, James Hind, Fire Inspector with London Fire. Thanks very much. Thank you. And we also have the two representatives who are here visiting. We have Kari Kumansalo, who is a Finland Emergency Service lead. Not lead, leading fire inspector, but oh, okay. well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have Arita Jokinen, who is a, a fire inspector as well. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. thank you so much for coming into the studio today. It's a pleasure to meet you both and great to have James here as well. So for anyone who wasn't aware that we had uh, this <laughs> this great program in place, we have a, a hoarders task force that was started in 2010 by you, James, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically back then it was a recognition that we really needed to kind of coordinate a lot of the efforts and maybe eliminate a lot of the silos that existed at the time throughout all the different agencies across the city. So we came together and we, we formed a task force and, you know, the task force isn't uh, operating as a task force per se now, but all those connections are still there and we all know we, we need to do and we all communicate. 
way better than we ever used to. So that was really the main goal. Fantastic. And so, uh, you know, it's it's funny because um, when you say the word hoarding or hoarders, you might get visions of like the A&E TV show uh, Buried Alive or these very dramatic, uh, you know, depictions of, of what is a very serious uh, mental health issue and social issue within any community. Um, and you might wonder, why is the, the fire department involved in this sort of an effort? Well, there's a really specific reason for that, because you go into homes to help people. And if there's a situation like this, it makes it a lot worse and, and more difficult. Oh, for sure. When we're doing the inspections, we are often, even our fire crews, are often the first people to come in contact with these individuals. Not only that, but police and, and paramedics. Um, we're, they're the first, first line of defense sometimes in, in locating these individuals and kind of that first step in getting them help. And often that's our role. Due to our legislative um, abilities and powers, that gives us a little bit more uh, flexibility to deal with these individuals and to try to get them as much help as we can. And that's kind of where we start. Okay, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the focus over to uh, our mm-hmm. visitors here, Kari and Arita. Tell me, how did you, I guess, come to end up in London during this week? Uh, first, how did how did you source out this information? What what brought you here to London? Mm-hmm. Um, I did some digging in the internet mm-hmm. and find it um, often when you just googled hoarding, mm-hmm. you came up with James. Ah. James' name <laughs> came up a few times, and um, in here because it was fire department who was providing this, so I I start to write to him that he could maybe learn us to yeah so much uh, places it's not the fire department who is doing all the work so it's someone else right so. That's amazing, and, yeah. and the internet it connects us all these days, yeah, right? It was it, it was it was quite the shock, and I when I first got the email, I had to send an email back. Are you sure you want London, Ontario? I mean, <laughs> Not looking London, at the England? looking yeah. at the distances between the two countries, yeah. but uh, it, no, it was uh, it was a it was a nice surprise, and it's been a great learning opportunity this week, um, both both ways. And uh, you know, we've gone to some of our some excessive combustible units and, mm-hmm. and apartments this week. Um, that's an interesting and, uh, name for that. Yeah, well, I like that. Well, you know, in, 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 the, in the reality, that's what it is for us. Mm-hmm. It's the excessive accumulation of combustible material. Right. So um, that's, you know, but it's not as, it does, doesn't sound as uh, interesting or as sexy as hoarding. So, <laughs> you know, if, if that's what, if I said, hey, Jess, can we do a, a topic on excessive combustibles? And you'd say no. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe yeah. I'd be like, what's that? But I, I think it's interesting, too, a difference in name can perhaps change the way we view it. And stigma associated with yeah. it too, eh? Yes. Oh, for sure. The, the stigma around, I mean, and unfortunately, um, you know, we're suffering now even more dramatic cuts through, uh, through the provincial government. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we're really lacking here is support and funding for this because it's expensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't just because I, I deal with a lot of hoarders, just like they do in, in Finland, it doesn't stop me from having to do everything else. Mm-hmm. And no different than any of our other um, agencies and our service providers that we're dealing with. They also have their caseload. And these individuals do take up a lot of time and resources to to assist, mm. to assist properly. Yeah, it's it's very true. And it, it becomes like a full court press uh, of all those agencies. And that's why it's so important, as you said, to, to have that connectivity, mm. everyone working better together to help the people who are in need. And when you when you look at the cost to associated with cleaning up one hoarder in, mm. a, in an average size apartment, you're looking at about one point four million dollars when you factor in, 
all the agencies, the time, the effort, right. the resources put towards that one individual. Mm-hmm. And when you look at our numbers around three to 5,000, just that's a lot of money that yeah. is not there. It's true. And also people might think, oh, what? You take like a, a like a dumpster and like you toss everything out. No, 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 no. Like there's often, let alone those those uh, types of services mm-hmm. that you, you quoted, there's also sometimes structural rehabilitation that needs to happen to a property because of the damage that can uh, be, I guess, wrought upon uh, a, a residence just by virtue of so many things being in there. You've got vermin sometimes and mold damage. It's, it's a... a Way bigger issue than a lot of people might think. It's a huge issue to even to start. And for many of these people, like that starting process is maybe once or twice a week, 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Any more than that, they can be overwhelmed. And it it may take, you know, six weeks to make a small dent. It may take a year to make a dent that is noticeable to somebody else. So, Mm -hmm. and then you have to have the the therapy, you have to have the, the, the counseling, the, all the mental supports that have to go along with it, then you get into, once you can get that stuff out, then you get into the cleanup, then you get into the repair, right. the re- mold remediation, the bed bugs, the cockroaches, the rats, the mice, the, you know, the raccoons, you know, we've had raccoons in raccoons. people's houses. So, you know, it's, it's not as simple as just throwing everything out. That's right. There's a lot, a lot that goes into it because if you don't address the root issues, it's like a foundation of a house, right? Like if it's cracked or unstable, you try to build anything on that, it's 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 pointless. It's just like if you don't help the individual at the center of it, you're going to encounter the same problems down the road at another residence or in the same place and all of that effort is for nothing. Um, can we talk a little bit about what you were up to this week? We've heard that you've you've seen some of uh, the homes in this area that are impacted uh, by this behavior. What else did you get up to while you were here? Well, first of all, we got to know about the mm-hmm. fire prevention program in the college. College that was something also that we were really impressed. And then we have been with police and and emergency service and learn how also how they tackle this this same kind of problems that we have mm-hmm. and like in Finland we don't call about hoarding because we pro- call talk about problem living or problem housing because okay. there are many other problems also than the hoarding and we also figured out even we are here about the hoarding but the other authorities and the cooperation here is so well so it the most biggest problems are taken care of mm-hmm. here also yeah. about the problem housing. Yeah. No, it's and we were saying before uh before we were back on air that you saw how similar the issues are in Finland and the issues here in London and Canada. There's a lot of similarities between um the issues on one side of the Atlantic and the other. Yeah, and the people can change the countries and mm-hmm. still the problem is exactly the same. Yeah. That's it's amazing. You know, we were we were saying that uh hopefully that helps being able to have uh learning from the strategies here, bring it back to back home to Finland and vice versa, find out what's going on in Finland and Europe. I want to touch upon that really like in like 2 seconds um and bring those strategies home because having this interconnectivity uh facilitated through uh the modern age and internet and and all that good stuff, that's fantastic. It's really going to be uh beneficial as 
as you move forward and, and try to battle these problems. Um, so speaking of that, I hear that there's a trip for you now, James, to go to Finland and even a conference you're going to speak at. Well, that's the plan is that, uh, you know, later this year we'll be heading to Finland and uh, seeing what, you know, maybe what we can bring there and what I can take back. So mm-hmm. basically another learning opportunity. And, you know, the hope is then to return in 2020 for a, a summit on, on hoarding over in Europe. That's it blew my mind when you first mentioned like that EU conference mm-hmm. on hoarding because I had no idea that it was such a global issue that it would need that it would warrant its own conference. But I mean, honestly, when you think of the societal impacts, when you really sit down, like you talked about the 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 cost uh, estimate of how much this costs, mm-hmm. it blows my mind. So I mean, it does make sense that you would want to have coordinated strategies, not just in communities but across the globe. Yeah, and, you know, there's um, research companies or research labs and stuff across the globe now. I think there's maybe about a dozen since 2012 that are actively doing research on hoarding. And, you know, the the information is still so, so, so small. Mm -hmm. You know, and hoarding has been referenced ever since the 4th century, but not as hoarding, but as that excessive accumulation. So the whole concept has been around for for centuries, but yet the the information that we have to work with is only is, is less than a decade old. So it's difficult for us to come up and and there is no right way to do it. There's no perfect sense because for what works for one individual may not even work for the next individual. And you know the, some of the conversations that we had this morning when we were talking with one of our service providers was how similar it is that when you have somebody. Um, it's very, very common in, in, with a hoarder to have that disengagement from family and friends. So they're alone. So we know that people who are suffering from loneliness or, or that societal um, separate, separation or isolation yeah. tend to have more draw on emergency service, more, more draw to uh, the medical services. So they have a higher impact cost-wise on the entire system. Yeah. Yet we always find and they confirmed it this morning and service providers confirmed it, is that when you have, you know, when you can reconnect a family to assist or get close friends back, the success rate is much higher. Mm-hmm. But that was something that I was not even even thinking of could have been a, you know, a commonality. Yet this morning, Carter was talking about those situations in, in, uh, in Finland. And it was almost word for word, conversations that I've had with other people about people here in London. So yeah. it's it's been a um it's been a, an eye opener to see that um you know my problems aren't you know my problems here that uh, when we're dealing with hoarders and stuff really aren't that um unique. Mm-hmm. They're they're very common across the globe. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, in terms of what's left then in the rest of your trip, you have, uh, you know, a couple hours this afternoon yet to go. And uh, then you're you're heading back home uh, on Sunday, I think you said, right? Yeah, on Sunday. So what's left for the rest of, of your adventure to London, <laughs> Ontario? <laughs> Probably um, we have tomorrow time to see the city. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't have been in the city so much. So yeah. now we have time. Well, we ha- we have to get him some Knights jerseys and, yeah. and take him down to the armory to, to pick up some stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not football. Yeah, or yeah. soccer. Yeah. But, True. Uh, but Knights 
have had Finnish players. So. Yeah. That is absolutely true. Yeah. No, it's uh, that's awesome. Well, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your trip. And thank you so much for coming all the way here, especially right down into our studios here in downtown London. It's been a pleasure to meet you both, Kari and Arita. And I hope you have a safe trip home. And I look forward to hearing more about the things James learns when he goes to visit you guys in Finland in the fall. That'd be awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for coming in. We need to take a quick break here on London Live. We will be right back after this. It's not Mike Stubbs. It's Jess Brady. (laughs) I am here for just... Like, what is it? How how many more minutes do we have? I think 36 minutes left in my tenure on uh, London Live this week. Mike Steps is back from vacation as of Tuesday after the long weekend. So we just had that great chat with London Fire. And now we're going to stay with our emergency services, sort of. But we're shifting gears slightly to the Canadian Forces. And we're going to talk about this really cool thing that's happening tomorrow at the London International Airport. The forces are bringing in a C-17 Globemaster. Mm. And cadets from all over London and the region are going to get to go on flights in the Globemaster. If you don't know how cool this is, I have someone on the line right now who's going to tell you how cool it is. And that's Warrant Officer Wayne Malloy. He's with the Regional Cadet Support Unit at the London Detachment. And uh, he joins me now live. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to talk about the exciting event on Saturday at the airport. You're welcome. So for anyone who is not, let's say, well-versed in military aircraft, first of all, could you tell me what the C-17 is exactly? How big of a plane are we talking about? Okay, the C-17 is the largest transport aircraft the Canadian Forces has. It... uh, Basically, it's about four times the size of a C-130 Hercules. It can carry four times the cargo. It's um, very large, four-engine, four-jet-engine aircraft. And like I said, it's the biggest aircraft the Canadian Forces has, and it's used around the world. That's fantastic. And so local cadets are actually going to have a chance to take a ride in this then? It's not just local cadets. It's cadets from all over southwestern Ontario. So they're coming from as far away as Windsor and Sarnia. Uh, Hamilton, Stony Creek, Kitchener, Waterloo, and London area. That's fantastic. So there are going to be several flights then of of the cadets being taken up. How long of a flight will they be going on? Um, we've um, figured on about 30 minutes. Uh, 30 minutes is a good enough flight to get the experience of the aircraft. And then um, we'll be able to get the uh, full seven chalks. The chalk is what they call the flight in, in the time period we have the aircraft. That's wonderful. So this is this a, a usual type of activity that the forces is able to um, able to take part in with cadets? Why exactly is it is this going on? Well, it happened about November last year. Um, I got to the RCSU last July, and one of the uh, commanding officers of one of the cadet units uh, was talking with me and suggested that um, it's unfair that some of the cadets in southwestern Ontario never get to experience the opportunity of a C-7 or, or a military aircraft. So because I was a member of 429, I reached out and through planning and preparation managed to acquire the C-17 to come to London Airport for the day. And it also gives a chance for the pilots of 429 to do training as well. So it's a double-edged sword. It kind of gives uh, for both people, the cadets and the uh, pilots of 429. 
That's perfect. It's one of those uh, instances where it's it's a it's a win win all around. That's right. Yeah, both uh, both organizations get to um, get something out of it, especially the cadets, and then instead the pilots get the training. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about what the cadets will uh, experience and the the type of things that they that they'll learn about through these flights. Um, so the idea, like I said, is a thirty minute flight, and I've asked the pilots once we're up in the air to um, open up the ramp and cargo door in flight, so at altitude, to give the cadets a bit more of a wow factor. And hopefully, uh, it gives them, uh, stimulates some interest in the uh, in the military or the CF uh, in the future. And um, it also uh, brings apart the fact of how the Canadian Forces, the Air Force particularly, works on an aircraft, because there'll be load masters as well as pilots. And I'm also hoping to get um, two cadets, and, or a cadet and an officer, for a takeoff and a landing up in the cockpit during that 30-minute flight to experience something else I've never experienced anywhere else. I wish you could have seen my face when you said that they were going to open up part of the plane. (laughs) Yeah, the ramp and cargo door, yeah. My goodness, I can't imagine. That's going to be such a thrill for them. Oh, it is. I've I've seen it multiple times. Like I said, I was a member of 429 for 11 years, and it it is absolutely awesome to have that ramp and cargo door open up in flight. Amazing. And and so not only will the cadets uh, get to see the plane up close and personal, they'll be riding in it, uh, but Londoners in and around the area may or may not spot the plane as it's coming in and, and doing its flights, correct? Yeah, they'll be able to uh, see it because I don't think it's going to be flying uh, like really high, so probably maybe five or 10,000 feet. So they'll be able to see the aircraft flying over the city of London. And if they're at the, around the airport during the, uh, during the day, they can have the opportunities to watch it take off and land. That's amazing. Now, I, I would imagine that they won't be able to get too close to it, so they'll, they'll have to watch from a distance if they're at the airport, right? Yes, that's right, because the, air, the airport is um, a secure area and it'd be fenced in. So if they were like close by the airport, they would be able to see it come in and, and take off. It's amazing. I know that um, our air show the the uh, the last few years has been extremely popular. So we have a lot of a, a lot of aviation fans, and I'm betting that you might have a, a bit of a crowd hanging out outside the airport, hoping to catch a glimpse of it. That'd be good because it'll also give um, the, um, the public an appreciation of how the uh, Canadian Air Force works in the uh, in the community. And um, if they ever see a cadet on the street, they could ask them if they. Uh, participated in the uh, C-17 flight. And I'm sure they'll be very happy to talk about their experiences with it because it, it sounds like it's going to be absolutely amazing. Oh, it will. It'll be, a, it'll be a fun day. Like I said, it's been a lot of planning, but it's been well worth it. Fantastic. Do you think that this might be something uh, that might be a more regular event down the road? Maybe it could be scheduled in and and uh, more kids will have an opportunity to, to give it a whirl? Well, we're going to see after this one, but I'm hoping that is my hope to have this maybe as an annual event for the uh, air cadets around about the same time period, May, June time period. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure if that happens, uh, it will be very much anticipated and uh, they'll very much look forward to it. Sir, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope everything just goes great tomorrow on Saturday. And uh, I'm sure it'll be quite the experience for everyone. Yes, it will be. I'd like to say one thing. I'd like to also thank the... uh, the London Airport Authority for their assistance in making this happen. Absolutely, yeah, I'm sure they're they're very excited to to see how how everything goes and have the plane on their premises because that's it's not usual that they get to see that kind of aircraft. No, that's right. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I hope everyone has a, a great time of it and uh, look forward to seeing all the cool posts and uh, how excited the kids are.
Yes, it will be very, very good. Thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. And now to the 230 News with Jacqueline LaBelle. Guest host, Jess Brady. (laughs) It's me. Uh, Before the break, we were just talking about a great event that's happening tomorrow at uh, the London International Airport. And just wanted to say again how cool that's going to be for the kids who are going up in this Globe Master plane. As uh, as we heard from uh, Warrant Officer Wayne Malloy, it's the largest uh, aircraft that the Canadian Forces has. And uh, it's just going to be so cool. I can't get over that they're going to have the door open to it. Ooh! Those kiddos are very brave and I'm excited for them. So I just wanted to gush about that a little bit more. It's such a cool initiative that they have going on. So. On to another matter, which is cool in the perspective of how technology has advanced to not only create cool digital things in our lives, like cell phones and things like that. Although, as we said with Carmi Levy, eh, you know, there's a dark side sometimes. But also technology has allowed for things like the Beyond Meat Burger. We were talking about this yesterday a little bit with Craig Needles and, uh, you know, discussing the complaint that's been filed with the uh, Canadian Food Inspection Agency by the Quebec Cattle Producers Federation. The Canadian Cattle Association, Cattlemen's Association, I should say, has also raised concerns with the Beyond Meat product uh, that uh, is like burgers that are sold at A&W, all those sorts of things. So I figured we've chatted informally about this story, but I wanted to bring an expert in. And that leads me to introduce Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. He is with the Rowe School of Business at Dalhousie University. And uh, he joins me live to enlighten us a little bit more about the meat of the matter. Dr. Charlebois, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. My pleasure. So I uh, talked with my colleague, uh, Craig Needles, about this story on air yesterday a little bit, just to kind of get uh, the layperson's idea of, of, of how we feel about the objections from the Quebec and uh, Canadian Cattle Producers Associations and Federation. Uh, what's your take on this? Do they, do they have a legitimate beef? Pardon the pun. <laughs> Well, first of all, I'm surprised it took that long, to be honest. Uh, the Beyond Meat Blitz uh, has been on uh, everyone's radar for quite some time, and, and the word meat is actually in the brand's name. And so I thought that at some point someone is going to say something. It didn't come out of Alberta, where most of, uh, of our cattle comes from, uh, but uh, it came from Quebec. Uh, so... Uh, so I'm not surprised by by the claim, and uh, to a certain extent, the claim has merit, because when you actually look at uh, labeling laws in Canada, uh, it's it's actually quite clear. Uh, in fact, I believe that our laws uh, around uh, in livestock are are much clearer than in the United States. Uh, you you may have heard some some trade groups in the United States complain doing the same thing as what we just saw. Uh, out of Quebec uh, this week or last week, uh, but in, in Canada, in the law, it does mention the word carcass. Now, if you're actually manufacturing a uh, a patty out of peas, uh, you can argue that easily that there are no carcasses involved, and so that's that's where the UPA and the Federation in Quebec is coming from. 
It's very interesting. And, and uh, speaking of, of that, uh, the wording that's in the rules themselves, uh, they talk about, um, uh, you know, having to be very clear or and not giving the erroneous impression regarding the character, value, quantity, con- composition and merit or safety. Um, and one of the points that uh, we kind of talked about yesterday in that other discussion was, uh, isn't the marketing by virtue in and of itself talking about uh, how unique this is because it's not meat so the very the very fact that they're saying up front like this isn't meat based um does that negate at all some of the concerns or at least legally of of those uh, federations it's tricky uh, you see the complaint uh was filed uh to, to the cfia and the cfia doesn't necessarily regulate marketing it regulates ingredients and that's where I think uh, the uh, the UPA may actually uh, lose its case, just because it's not really CFI's job to regulate marketing. Now, some of your listeners may may say, "Well, you can't market vegan cheese in Canada, so why aren't we stopping this?" Well, with dairy, it's very different because we have marketing boards in Canada, and marketing boards, well. They look at marketing, and so and they're very powerful and influential. So within weeks, if you're trying to sell a vegan cheese um, product in Canada, you're likely going to get a complaint very very quickly. But in beef and cattle, the culture is very different. And, uh, and let's face it, it's much more it's much more of an open system. We we basically uh, export most of the beef we we produce in Canada. So it's just a different uh, scenario altogether, and, and the CFI's job is not necessarily to regulate marketing, and no one really does in the cattle industry in Canada. It's fascinating, and uh, it, it's sort of like other discussions that uh, I've had in, in the past over this the course of this week on the show, uh, talking about playing catch-up with uh, rules, playing catch-up with uh, current everyday life in 2019. Uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with new laws regarding cannabis consumption at provincial parks for a long weekend, where there are a bit yeah. of loopholes now, and, and the same for this, this new alternative uh, product that's not meat, um, but it, it apparently, allegedly, tastes a lot like it. I have haven't tried it, so I can't say for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, there are some gas, but at the same time, uh, I, I would I would venture to say that consumers aren't idiots. I mean, they they will they would know if they look at the uh, list of ingredients, they will know that this is not a meat product. And frankly, if you've been living uh, under a rock, maybe you wouldn't have heard of Beyond Meat. But Beyond Meat has been around for for a while now, 11 years, and it's sold in over 30,000 restaurants around the world, 3,000 outlets just in Canada now. So it's actually a, a, a global brand, a global phenomenon now. So I suspect that most people would actually be able to make the difference. Although now you actually do find both products at the meat counter. So you have Beyond Meat on the one side, and right next to it you have that bloody version which is called, well, meat. (laughs) (laughs) The real deal versus... uh, The real deal. Yeah, versus the the imitation, if you will. (laughs) And I think consumers are smart enough to to distinguish. It's like the the margarine uh, slash butter debate. I I think people can actually uh, taste and, and tell the difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and sort of, as we said, like the whole point of much of the marketing, at least that you see like on TV and the commercials, um, especially around, say, like A&W, is the fact that they're, they they try and kind of uh, present these gotcha moments with people who are trying the product and they say, how does that taste? And they're like, oh, it tastes like a real burger. Well, guess what? It's it's beyond meat. And so they, yeah. they capture those reactive moments where people are like, get out of here. That's crazy. I'm not sure if you've tried a Beyond Meat product uh, uh, already, but I would say that it's if you know uh, the taste of beef, you can tell the difference. And now the challenge, of course, is is that uh, moving forward, Beyond Meat's aspiration is is to replicate exactly what beef uh, gives us. And so, in five years from now, say, uh, it tastes exactly the same. And that could be a potential problem for uh, for the beef industry. Yeah, there are all sorts of impacts as this uh, runs its course. And uh, when you and I spoke last year, we talked about uh, a dip in sales for beef. Uh, for an, it was for a number of reasons. One, you know, uh, the cost is, is is high. It's not in a lot of people's budgets right now. But also there are health concerns, more people trying out more vegetarian or vegan options. And uh, yeah, there could be some serious impacts for uh, the livelihood of, of uh, cattle farmers and ranchers and uh, the people that these federations represent so I, I would imagine they're they're trying to keep a close eye on on how this will play out and, and kind of the ripple effect oh absolutely so of course uh, I think it's wonderful what's happening with more the food diversity uh, consumers will will have choice but uh, let's face it uh, some uh, some sectors will will suffer as a result and the beef industry in particular is playing defense right now and that's the one that's the one thing they can do is is complain and, and make and make this a political issue. That's that's uh, very true, and and in a way, I can I can understand them saying, you know, we've uh, we've we play by the rules and the existing rules, and so new players should have to do the same. It's 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 weird that there are so many comparisons. Like it reminds me of like taxis versus Uber and and that sort of thing, where you've got these game changers that come into the market, and uh, they they don't really uh, the rules don't really apply to them because they're different from the established system. But it's it's about for all of us moving forward, trying to navigate it and figure out what the best path forward is. Yeah, what I what I don't understand in their strategy is why why now why not six months ago? Because that this this Beyond Meat invasion really just was so uh, sudden and and almost violent. It it, it basically three thousand stores in, in on the same day um, now carries the product itself. I would have if I would have been in the beef industry, I would have tried to. Uh, perhaps sent out a signal uh, months before uh, this actually happened. Now it's much dip- more difficult to to uh, on breaks now because all of these products are now listed, and, and to get your product listed costs thousands of dollars. Uh, and grocers are carrying this product, which costs money as well. So grocers are certainly against this claim now, and so they've, they've there are more supporters of Beyond Meat than six months ago, which is why I think. Uh, waiting was a mistake for them. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you know the genie is out of the bottle. Pandora's box has been opened. It's there's no really going back now. Exactly, and so uh, no, it's it's surprising, and and frankly, the, the, it's an interesting case. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to stand. Uh, I think the army will continue to exist in Canada. 
Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out over uh, the next little while and how much of a bite they take out of the meat market in Canada. <laughs> You're good with puns these days. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a gift. What can I say? <laughs> well, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, merci beaucoup for all of your time this afternoon. We really appreciate it, and I hope you have a fantastic long weekend. Maybe if you barbecue, you'll, uh, you'll have some real meat on one side of the grill and, and maybe some Beyond Meat on the other. Uh, we're going plant-based and traditional this weekend. We're making everyone happy. Fantastic. Enjoy your long weekend. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to pay tribute to a social media sensation who we lost. News broke today of uh, a death in the social media world. And uh, we'll tell you all about it when we come back on 980 CFPL on London Live. Welcome back to the program. We have not very long at all until the top of the hour. My tenure on London Live is nearly over. Mike is back next week on Tuesday after the long weekend, and we hope that everyone has a fantastic long weekend. Safe, fun, lots of uh, barbecues, whether you are uh, grilling up real meat burgers or perhaps some Beyond Meat. Who knows? Or you're looking at some other options uh, to each their own. But I will say this, that the social media universe is a little sadder today because news broke that everyone's favorite bad-tempered cat has passed away. Grumpy Cat, the famous feline known for her temperament and her scowl, has died at the age of seven. That was according to her owners. Her real name, everyone knew her as Grumpy Cat, but her real name was Tartar Sauce, and she skyrocketed to fame in 2012 after photographs of her grumpy expression rocketed across the web. A video posted to YouTube followed, which has more than 21 million views to date. Now, Grumpy Cat became a very famous meme <laughs> and uh, had all sorts of sassy retorts to uh, to people who, I don't know, if you, in the meme, if someone said, it's raining out today. And I have to go outside and it's going to ruin my hair. Flash to a, a picture of a scowling grumpy cat. And grumpy cat says, good. She was just always happy when you were upset. And it made people laugh when she was uh, commenting on ridiculous things. So grumpy cat's owners posted on Twitter this morning to announce the news. And uh, sadly, she succumbed to a very complicated urinary tract infection, which is uh, an ailment that many cats suffer from. Uh, I'm not a cat person myself, uh, but I was a big fan of Grumpy Cat. I posted quite a few of <laughs> memes about her on Facebook in my time. She's just had this cute little face and a scowl and these really beautiful blue eyes. But it just kind of goes to show how uh, little characters, be they real or created, uh really play into our lives on social media and how much joy they bring us sometimes. And that was one of the sentiments from Grumpy Cat's owners talking about how they knew that uh, she brought a lot of people around the world joy with her sassy face and sassy quotes that were used in the memes that went viral. So RIP Grumpy Cat, you were seven years old, but in seven years you brought a lifetime of joy to so many people, including me. Lots of fun. And your memes will live on, thankfully. So you can all have a chuckle. And the next time you see a picture of Grumpy Cat, just know that her sour puss face made people put a lot of smile on their faces. So we need to take another quick break. 
And we will be right back here on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. We've only got oh, about a minute and a half left of on-air time this afternoon before we jump into the afternoon news with Matthew Trevithick and the rest of the AM uh, 980 CFPL news team. And it's going to be a busy afternoon, I have a feeling, as we've heard from our news updates so far. So make sure to keep your radios tuned in and also your online listening players. If you're listening to us online, uh, tune to us here at 980 CFPL. We'll bring you all the latest news and information of the day. But since this is uh, like the last minute now of the program, I wanted to just make sure that uh, I sent out a big, big thank you to everyone who helped me out this week with interviews and coming on the show to talk about all the cool topics that were happening at home here in London and uh, around Canada, around the world in some cases. Uh, Thank you especially to all of our guests today that we had from London Fire. We had uh, Jack Burt on. We had James Hind, as well as our fantastic guests from Finland, Kari Kumar. Mansalo and Arita Jokinen was fantastic to learn about all the great work that they've been doing here in London and the work to come in Finland uh, and that cool exchange program of sorts that's happening. Uh, thank you to Sylvain Charlebois for uh, coming on to talk about the Beyond Meat Burger sensation and uh, the court challenge or not court challenge but the challenge with the CFIA that's uh, underway now with uh, Canadian uh, cattle producers and the meat market here. Uh, Thank you to producers Matt McInnes, Andrew Graham and Kelly who is across the glass window from me today. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Devin Peacock, Craig Needles, uh, Scott Monick, our news director and everyone else in the newsroom for helping out with uh, topic ideas and all sorts of good things and uh, letting me letting me use them as soundboards as I talk through ideas. So thank you for that. Also, thank you to all the listeners for putting up with me all week. Mike Stubbs will return to his rightful place uh, behind the microphone on this side of the talk booth coming up on Tuesday. Well, I think that's it from me. Thank you so much for all of your time and for listening in on London Live. Have a fantastic and safe and happy long Victoria Day weekend. We will see you all next week on 980 CFPL.